Well, good morning, Peer family. It's great to be here with you like this today, and I'm really glad to have the chance to talk to you today and um, just to be able to share kind of some things I've been learning from this journey to Jerusalem that we're on. We're nearing the final stretch of the journey, actually. And today um, is Palm Sunday, so we're timing this out just right because we're looking at some scenes near the end of the journey to Jerusalem leading up to right when Jesus enters Jerusalem itself. Before we get started, I wonder if you've seen this TED Talk. It's been out for a while. It's by Paul Piff, and it's got the provocative title, Does Money Make You Mean? (laughs) That's an interesting question. So Paul Piff, he's done a lot of research and he's continued to do a lot of research on what wealth does in terms of our psychology and how we treat other people, the more money we get. And they did this one experiment that I just wanted to share. Um, It's one of those like funny but true kind of uh, situations. Basically, they set someone up as a pedestrian in California and what they did many, many times, they would approach a crosswalk ready to cross. And in California, apparently the law is that you have to stop. You have to stop for pedestrians, just like here in Brockville. Um, Well, what they found, they were trying to find out to see if there was a correlation between how expensive your car was and how likely you were to stop for the pedestrian. (laughs) And what they found out was actually really interesting. It turned out that everyone with inexpensive cars stopped and let the pedestrian cross. In other words, nobody with an inexpensive car broke the law. But they found out that the more expensive your car, the less likely you were to stop for the pedestrian. (laughs) They found that you were more likely to break the law. I bring that up. It's just kind of an interesting thing to think about, right? And this whole subject of his TED Talk is an interesting thing to think about. It may be obvious to say, but money doesn't make you into a better person. And in fact, as someone like Paul Piff is finding, it might actually do things to your psychology that inhibits that. But yet, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us still think that money is kind of the key to the good life. So what's going on there? Why is there that kind of a discrepancy? Well, as I said, we're talking today um, about the last point in Jesus's journey to Jerusalem. And in this final stretch, Jesus has two encounters with wealthy individuals. So the topic of wealth comes up really to the forefront. And the topic of what does a disciple, how does a disciple of Jesus approach wealth is really at front and center here. And it turns out that in these scenarios, they form kind of a contrast because in the one scenario, Jesus has an encounter. He teaches him something about wealth and he leaves sad. He leaves unable to carry out what Jesus asks. But in the next scenario, the man leaves happy. And it turns out that Jesus says salvation has entered, has come to this man's household. And the difference between the two is their relationship to wealth. That's what makes the difference in each scenario. So we're going to take some time to look at this today, this really important topic. We're going to look at Jesus's actually multi-layered teachings on wealth and how, like, what it means to follow Jesus in that area. So let's dig in here. We're going to look at these two passages, and I'm going to read the first one, talk a tiny bit about it, read the second one, talk a little bit about it, and then we're going to get into more details on Jesus's teachings. 
We're looking at chapters 18 and 19. Um, we're going to look first at chapter 18, verses 18 to 27. If you want to follow along, feel free. I'm reading from the NET translation. So here's what it says. Now, a certain leader asked him, him being Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was extremely wealthy. So that's the scenario. A man, wealthy ruler, approaches Jesus. He wants to know, how can he have eternal life? He, um, Jesus talks about the commands. We find out, oh, he's a, he's a righteous guy that way. He's been following the commands since his youth. Um, and notice how Jesus mentions the social commands, the, the laws around kind of social relationships. That's going to be important for later. But as Jesus says, you still lack something. From Jesus' perspective, um, he lacks something, and it's to do with wealth. He says, sell, Jesus says, sell all that you have and give to the poor. But the man couldn't do it. And so Jesus goes on to say how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That illustration there is meant to point to something that's really an impossibility. Something that's going on with this man is making it impossible for him to enter the kingdom of God. So, something like that I said that's going on in this man's life is completely blocking the kingdom in his life. And it has to do with his relationship to wealth and possessions. That's the one scenario. Now look, let's look at the other one. It's in chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. It almost comes right after this. It's to do with Zacchaeus, who's a wealthy chief tax collector. Let's read it from, night, um, from uh, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. Now, a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly because I must stay at your house today. So he came down quickly and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all complained. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Lord, look, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone of anything, I am paying back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This passage here, it's picking up on a lot of themes that we've already talked about, especially that theme of Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. 
And as we've said, it really contrasts really nicely the story of the ruler. Here we have a sinner, a so-called sinner, and not just any sinner. He's a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. So he was probably quite despised, actually, in his town of Jericho. But anyways, we have a sinner who turns to Jesus, who repents, while this rich ruler can't. He, he, he refuses to repent. And there's something going on here then about Zacchaeus' new relationship to wealth that's really key here, that was key to, his celebra- or key to his salvation. His response to Jesus when he said, look, Jesus, I'm selling or I'm giving up half of my wealth, giving it to the poor, I'm making amends for my wrongs, right? His, he's got a new relationship with wealth. Something about that was key to him following Jesus, from him receiving salvation. So my question is then, what is really at issue here? What's kind of going on? Because I think that there's probably a lot that we can glean from these two stories. And I'm going to be drawing a lot from actually a textbook that was really helpful to me while I was in seminary. It's called Introducing the New Testament by three writers, by Paul Actmeyer, Joel Green, and Marianne Thompson. And it actually shows that there's multiple layers here. There's, they draw out three layers to this. Because of our time, we're going to focus on the first two. But at the end of the day, I think what's going on here is that this kind of the relationship that each of these men have to wealth, it's kind of like a symptom to something deeper. It's a symptom to what's going on in their hearts, in their hearts in relationship to God and their hearts in relationship to other people. And Jesus knows that that's what needs to be addressed before these people are ready to follow him. That that's what needs to be dealt with before they're willing even to follow him. So let's look at those, each one of those in turn here. So then again, remember, what he says to the rich ruler is, one thing you lack, first sell all that you have. So why that directive? Why does Jesus focus on that? When I think about it, and I think about wealth, I think the same is true then as it is now. It seems like almost like this universal thing to us as humankind. We, there's this temptation to say that wealth equals happiness, right? If I can just gain more wealth, more possessions, that means I'll be happier. Wealth is the sure ticket to the good life. And we know this, like lottery companies, this is how they make all their money, right? And when I look at, I look at those commercials, like, you know, the, the one company, Cash for Life, and I see just how much fun it looks like those people are having, I admit, I often I can, I can find myself falling into kind of the same way of thinking. And you know what, I've, when I think back about this, I don't know where I learned it, probably from just kind of what was going on around me, from TV, from all of that. But as a child, I can remember thinking like, okay, one day I'm going to be rich. I got to be rich. Like for me, that was like the pinnacle. That was like, if I'm rich, then that means that I've arrived, that I've really made something of myself. And for some reason, I related that to having a castle. I'm not sure, but I really thought I'm going to have a castle one day. Well, I'm still working on that part. I'm still working on both of them. (laughs) But um, the truth is, I think, you know, if we're honest, we put wealth and we put the wealthy on like a pedestal. We're kind of like, okay, the richest of the rich, these are kind of like the best that that humankind has to offer in a lot of ways. Like, they're the ones who are really successful. 
And sure, there is a truth to that. You know what, when people do a really good job or come up with something really innovative, often wealth follows. But even that, that's really dependent on what society happens to value at the time. So that even that can be relative, right? It doesn't always, it's not always the case. But I'm bringing up all this to say that actually Jesus teaches something quite different. If, we've, if you've been reading up to this point and you've been reading attentively on this theme, you'll realize, oh my goodness, like he is not tracking <laughs> with how we feel towards wealth. Because here's what he says. In chapter 12, he t- talks a lot about this. He says, watch out and guard yourself from all types of greed or coveted- covetousness because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. <laughs> in other words, Jesus is saying that life actually isn't all about what we possess. It isn't all about wealth. So watch out for greed. Um, and he says later on in, in verse 23, he says, there is more to life than food, more to the body than clothing. And then he goes on to say, do not actually, don't be overly concerned about these things, about what you will eat and what you will drink. Do not worry even about such things. Jesus has this very different view of what makes for a good life. And he sees greed, he sees wealth as something that can potentially get in the way of the, the life we were meant for. And so Actmeyer and, and friends, that, that book that I was telling you about, they say this, for Luke, wealth, rep, wealth presents itself as a temptation to prestige and security apart from God. And for this reason, it's suspect. So in other words, I see what's going on here is, you know what, we can get attached. I can get attached to wealth um, in really unhealthy ways if I'm not careful. You know what, I may believe, I may buy into this belief that acquiring more and more equals happiness. It equals eternal life, which is probably what the ruler had in mind, right? Um, And also, I can think that if I just get more money, then I'll have less worries. I'll have less stress. I'll be more secure, But the thing is, the more I believe that, the more I become attached to wealth and possessions. It's this kind of sentiment, right? If I just have more, then I'll be happy. Is if I'm lacking now and what I just need is more in order to like be more full or more whole or happier, all of that stuff, right? But the thing is, as I said, Jesus looks at things differently. And instead of pursuing wealth, Jesus says, pursue God's kingdom. In Luke 12, 29 to 31. For Jesus, the key to life is coming to God with everything. It's coming to God with that kind of a view. Like trusting God in that way. Only you, God, can, can bring fulfillment and joy and that sort of thing. Um, and so Jesus doesn't beat around the bush on this. He says it more than once. Listen to what he says in 1433. Not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his possessions. Jesus really puts it out there for us, like coming to God with all of ourselves, um, free of attachments to wealth, is really what life is all about. And so this rich ruler gives us an illustration of really a cautionary tale of what it's like to be attached to wealth. This man came to Jesus desiring eternal life, but when he's told, okay, you want eternal life, sure, I can give it to you, just, you just got to follow me, that's the, that's the ticket here, but you're going to have to sever your attachment to wealth, 
we see that wealth had such a hold on him that he left sad. And that part's really important to me. That speaks volumes because he, I think he knew, kind of sensed what was going on here. I think he looked at Jesus as like, yeah, like Jesus is who I want to be like. I want to follow him. I want to learn from him. But when Jesus says, choose then between wealth and me, choose then between your, what you've placed your stock in when it comes to wealth and real life, eternal life, you know, when he was faced with that choice, he couldn't help but choose wealth. And so he left sad, knowing that he had, I think, passed up his opportunity. But in contrast, Zacchaeus was willing to let go of his possessions. Um, he was willing to let go of that attachment and to come to God with everything. And because of that, that freed him up to follow Jesus. That freed him up for salvation. So in other words, what I'm reading from this is that around this discussion of wealth at one layer, um, discipleship means a new way, I'm sorry, adopting a new way of looking at life. It means trusting everything to God instead of something like money. Um, instead of focusing on accumulating for myself, it actually a lot of the times means letting go so that I'm free to come to God with my whole heart. So that's a big part, I think, of what's going on here in these two scenarios. That's one, that's one level of what's going on here. But there's a second one as well that I want to talk about. Because notice how Jesus doesn't just say, sell everything. He also adds, give that money to the poor. He adds in some, a second thing that he wants him to do. He brings in this social dimension. He brings in other people. And that's really key. And, and Zacchaeus, he somehow kind of instinctually gets this, right? He doesn't just sell everything. He goes and helps the poor. And actually, this is a theme. If you've been following, you know that, that Jesus often brings up this idea of helping the poor. And actually, in 14, 13 to 14, he adds even more to it, which is really helpful for us. Because when he's talking to the Pharisees and says, you know what, when you have your elaborate feasts, invite the poor, he says, then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. So that's interesting. So I wonder what's going on here then. Why this emphasis on, you know, helping people that can't repay you? What's the significance of that? Well, again, I'm helped by that book that I mentioned, Actmeyer and Friends, um, because they, they talk about how in Jesus' day, and here we kind of need to get into the context here to, to I think, grasp like, the significance of what's going on here. But in Jesus' day, the people that you related to in that way, you know, the people that you would share with and the people that you would give to without expectation of return, that was your family. That was the people that you were closest to. That was your friends and family. In other words, those were the people that you considered equal to yourself, that you considered part of your circle. So then, as Actmeyer and, and friends say, to share with someone without expectation of return was to treat them as kin, as family. Conversely, on the other side, to refuse to share things with others was tantamount to relating to them as though they were outside one's community. So in other words, sharing means family, means acceptance, it means equality, while refusing to share means shunning, it means rejecting, it means inequality. 
So that adds a whole other dimension to this, right? It shows that something was wrong with the ruler's heart toward when it came to other people and his view of other people. Because refusing to sell his things and help the poor showed that he was refusing to relate to people, to, to the poor and the, the people that Jesus was talking about. Um, he was refusing to relate to them as equals. In his mind, they were probably still so-called sinners, outsiders. They weren't equals. <clears throat> so what's interesting then, he's actually acting kind of like a Pharisee, right? He's revealing his inner, his inner motives, his inner heart. He's showing that, no, there's still people that I refuse to help, I refuse to relate to. And doesn't wealth still do this today? I can think of parallels and... I invite you to think of them as well because it's always helpful to kind of like bring it from, from then to now, right? To make so that it hits home. But wealth still divides, right? It still creates in-groups and out-groups. It creates the haves and the haves not. And we know that in our day, this gap between the rich and the poor, it's grown so big and created so many problems. That wealth inequality that's going on is not a good thing, right? We, we know this. And just going back to Paul Piff, that, that psychologist that I mentioned earlier who had that TED Talk, here's what he says. He says what he's found is actually the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to pursue a vision of personal success of achievement to the detriment of others. It's kind of buying into this American dream uh, capitalism idea where it's like there's only so much to go around. So if I'm going to accumulate more and more, I got to put myself ahead of others. And I'm going to be okay with accumulating more at the detriment of others. And, and what he's finding is that the more you buy into that, the more you're okay with the inequality. The more you're okay with not caring for the needs of others. So the more you're willing to admit to, the, to inequalities and even maybe even justify it to yourself. So it's a bit of a downward spiral that way. But on the flip side of this, discipleship then, what Jesus is trying to teach, the kingdom way, <laughs> means adopting a new way of looking at each other. It means that we are all family under God. That's why Jesus, when he says that Zacchaeus, that salvation has come to his household, he goes on to say that he too is a son of Abraham. He too is part of God's family. So what I'm reading from this is that the kingdom then is about bringing people together. It's about unity. It's about solidarity. It's about breaking down barriers and all that divides and it's about helping each other then. And it's about loving each other and caring for each other. So that's what was also at issue here um, between these two stories, between these two encounters. Okay, well, we're going to leave off there. And you know what? The more that I think about it, there is just so many other places we can go with this. So I'm excited to hear what kind of conversations come up in our peer groups this week. Because remember, we're working through this in our peer groups. And, you know, this if you aren't part of one, please consider. Because we're going to continue to track our series for a, a while yet. And, and I'm finding that there's just so many good things coming out of our conversations on Sundays. But just to recap then, there was two encounters 
um, with, with Jesus here. Two different individuals, two wealthy individuals. And how they approached wealth made the difference between one going away sad and one receiving salvation, going away very happy. <laughs> For the rich ruler, he was sad because, as N.T. Wright says, in order to inherit the life of the new age, of the kingdom, he had to abandon the values of the old and trust himself completely to the new, like a diver throwing himself forward into the water. That ruler had to give up a lot of things. He had to let go of the idea that wealth apart from God is the, the ticket to happiness and security and all that. He had to stop buying into that mentality. He had to sever that attachment. And he also had to let go of the idea that it's okay that there's in-groups and out-groups. Um, it's okay that he thinks of himself as better or higher than others. He had to let go of that and come completely to God, trusting that Jesus' way was the, the better way. It was the way to eternal life, which is what he wanted all along. But salvation came to Zacchaeus because he was willing to let go and follow Jesus. And remember, at the end of the day, when we talk about salvation, real life, we mean following Jesus because Jesus is the source of that. So at the end of the day, it's about getting rid of those things that block us from following Jesus. But for Zacchaeus, he was willing to pursue God and God's kingdom wholeheartedly. And he was willing to enter into a new way of looking at other people, a new way that breaks down the barriers and loves people regardless of who they are. Now, isn't this just an important lesson for all of us, an important thing for all of us to think about? It gives us these really vivid pictures. And we can ask ourselves, you know, where am I at who am I more resembling right now? Am I resembling the ruler or am I resembling Zacchaeus? It's a good check. A lot of this comes back to self-reflection, kind of seeing where we're at um, in relation to these people. But it's so helpful to do. And I myself, it's, I'm not exempt from this. I found that I've learned so much by doing this as well. So that's, we're going to leave off there um, with those scenes. But before we finish today, I just want to mention one more thing. Because you may know this, today is Palm Sunday. So we've timed it out well. The, at the end of this story, Jesus has come to Jerusalem now. And so now he's ready to enter Jerusalem, which is what we commemorate on Palm Sunday. As the story goes, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a colt on this day. And there's a crowd of disciples who are there to see him in. They're with him to celebrate. And it says in Luke 19, the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This scene is the culmination of the road trip that we've been on with Jesus. And it is extremely significant. If we've been reading between the lines here, we know that this entrance into Jerusalem is God visiting Jerusalem. It's God returning to Jerusalem. And the disciples, they are celebrating this. They are celebrating what's happened, and they are so excited that Jesus is now arrived here 
in Jerusalem. But again, we see the Pharisees here, and they are not excited. <laughs> they're telling Jesus to silence his disciples, probably because they're afraid of what the Romans are going to think by treating Jesus in this way. Um, but Jesus knows what lies ahead in all of this. Jesus knows what waits for him in Jerusalem. And so Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, where we start to approach Easter weekend. We come closer to Easter. And this coming week, by the way, we're going to be having in person, we'll be having a, um, what's called a Maundy Thursday um, service, where we have communion together, and we, we commemorate the time when Jesus um, washed his disciples' feet and gave them that new commandment to love each other. Um, we're going to be doing that Thursday, and then Good Friday will be in person, and then we'll have Easter Sunday in person and online. So Jesus knows what's coming next weekend. And as N.T. Wright puts it, this is where we all now enter the picture. We've been on the road with Jesus symbolically by reading through this together. And now we're kind of faced with thinking about this as well. But here's how N.T. Wright puts it. Are we ready then? Because Jesus is ready for this. Sorry, I keep <laughs> interjecting here. But Jesus is ready. It's like I'm really building up this quote. <laughs> but Jesus is ready to enter Jerusalem. So then back to N.T. Wright. Are we ready not only to spread our cloaks on the road in front of him, to do the showy and flamboyant thing, but also now to follow him into trouble, controversy, trial, and even death? So the question now for those of us following Jesus, for us as disciples, we've seen what's happened. And what's happened is reason to celebrate. There's been a lot of incredible things that have happened on the journey to Jerusalem. But now we know what lies ahead. And the disciples are going to discover this for themselves. And you know what? The question is then for all of us, you know, how would we respond to what lies ahead for Jesus if we were asked to continue that journey with him. And I invite us to think about that through Holy Week, through this time as we prepare for Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. Okay, let's pray together before we finish today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. And I am so grateful to be able to to, to have it. And I just thank you for what you've taught us again today, Jesus. I am just, every time that I dig deeper into your teachings and into your life, I'm just blown away at the wisdom and at the beauty. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that this would be a time of self-reflection, a time when we can ask ourselves, you know, what's, where are we at when it comes to wealth and possessions? Are we willing even to adopt your mindset in towards these things? Are we willing to adopt a kingdom mindset? Can we admit that life is more than the abundance, that life consists more, in the more than the abundance of possessions, Lord? That, that following you, Jesus, that pursuing the kingdom is what's most important. So can we come to you, God, with our everything? And, but God, I thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices on that. I believe that the Holy Spirit is really there to help us day by day 
to keep making that choice, to keep coming back to you, God. And I thank you that you're so patient with us, that, that you, we will slip up in this area. We will make mistakes, but you love us and you're there to help us every time. And also, Lord, help us, Jesus, to, to adopt your mindset of caring for each other, of breaking down barriers, of loving each other, and, and believing that we are all family under you, Lord God. Help us by your Holy Spirit to adopt that as individuals and especially at the level of the peer community. I thank you so much for the work that we're doing to help people. And I really see that in us, that we do treat others as equals, that we do see that we're here to help each other. So really, Lord, I pray that you'd bless what we're doing and help us to even do that more and more. Help that to become more and more our heartbeat as we grow into that. So again, Jesus, thank you for this time. And now I pray for all of us as we go into Holy Week, as we prepare ourselves for Easter weekend. Please help us to think about that. You know, just how far are we willing to follow you, Lord Jesus? And that's a time to examine our motives, a time to examine just where we're at in relationship with you. And as we're going to talk about next week, it's a time to think about just who are you to us. If we were to answer that question, who do we say you are, Jesus? That becomes so key because the more that we dig into that question, the more we will be willing to follow you to wherever we need to go. Um, so again, Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Good. Great.